CEE Central Europe Explained An IDM podcast series powered by Erste Group Episode 12 Global Warming Does Not Have Borders with Katerina Davidova Hello everybody and welcome back to CEE Central Europe Explained I'm Daniela Neubacher, I'm the editor-in-chief of the thematic issue Info Europa, and I'm working as a research associate at the Institute for the Danube Region and Central Europe in Vienna. In last week's episode, Kathleen Tünderhuber mentioned that we need strong European support and long-time projects regarding challenges such as climate change. Therefore, today's episode is focusing on Europe's struggle against climate change. What do the EU member countries do against global warming? What is the EU Commission's so-called Green Deal all about? And how does it affect specifically the countries of Central Eastern Europe? I'm very happy that I discuss these topics today with the EU climate and energy expert, Katerina Davidova. Hello, Katerina. Thank you for joining us today. Hello, and thank you very much for having me. Yeah, Katerina, you hold a uh, master degree in American studies from Charles University in Prague and a bachelor in international area studies from the same university. Currently, you are a researcher at the Czech think tank Europium in Prague. And in addition, you work as a project coordinator for the Center for Transport and Energy, a nonprofit governmental organization which focuses on the environmental and climate impacts of transportation and energy production. So you have quite an idea of how the EU climate and energy legislation looks like, but maybe for everybody who is not dealing with these issues on a daily basis, it's quite hard to keep up with all the terminology like carbon neutrality, circular economy, climate law, etc. Could you please explain a bit what the idea behind climate neutrality is? What is really important to know about it? Yeah, it can be a bit confusing, uh, all these different terms being thrown around. So I'll try to explain the most important ideas behind the concept of climate neutrality. It's a term that has been recently used to describe a state when all the emissions that we as humans produce can be at the same time absorbed back from the atmosphere, for example, by forests, by soil or by oceans. So... In ideal case, we want to reach this state of climate neutrality. The EU has a goal to reach it uh, by 2050, which means that by the time we're going to have to dramatically reduce the emissions that we produce, for example, through energy generation or through transport, and at the same time, improve the state of our forests and our soils, because these act as the biggest carbon storages in the nature. So these are the two things of climate neutrality, first reducing the emissions we produce into the atmosphere and then improving the natural processes that can suck these emissions back. There is also a talk about some technologies, the so-called carbon capture and storage technology that can use some artificial processes to suck out carbon and other emissions from the atmosphere. But at, at this point in time, uh, these technologies are very expensive. So, uh, The safest bet is really to just start reducing the emissions we emit into the atmosphere right now. That's the most important first step. Second would be to look after the forests, the soil, the oceans and so on. And the third would be 
to try and develop these technologies, but we cannot really rely on them to get us to climate neutrality. Thank you very much. Yeah, you already mentioned the, the very ambitious goal of being climate neutral by 2050. For this, the EU Commission has initiated the so-called Green Deal policy in 2020. Um, you already mentioned some measures that are involved in this, but can you explain a few concrete measures that are included in this policy? So the European Green Deal is a sort of an empty box, we can think about it like that which needs to be filled with different policies, measures and strategies that in all will then form the Green Deal. To, to have a better idea of what's in the box, it's different strategies for reducing emissions in sectors such as energy, which is one of the most emitting sectors, also transport, also agriculture, buildings, the heating and cooling of buildings, waste management that also is responsible for emissions, and It also tackles, for example, finances. So the goal of the Green Deal is also to sort of streamline the European financial flows that they don't go into environmentally harmful activities, but instead go to activities that help reduce the emissions and reach the ultimate goal of climate neutrality 2050. In my view, the, the biggest added value of the European Green Deal is precisely that it's so cross-cutting that it really tries to encompass all the areas all the policies that are responsible for uh, creating emissions and is trying to say, okay, if we only reduce emissions in energy, but they go up in transport, it's no good. We have to really reduce emissions all across the sectors. So that's, that's why there is the Green Deal. That's why it's such a big box, which some people might not know what's in it. But in the end, it's the only way how we can uh, really reduce emissions everywhere if, if we really sort of mainstream the climate policies through all other policies. What do you think? Is it really necessary to do this on a European level or why can't you do this just first on a national level and then, you know, bring it further on a transnational one? What is the argumentation behind it? Ideally, we would need climate action on the global scope. Like every country in the world should have very similar climate policy in order for us to reduce the emissions on the scope that we really need in order to avoid the, the worst impacts of climate change. Firstly, it's because emissions don't know any borders. So the emissions emitted from a coal power plant in Czech Republic are just as responsible for, for the bushfires in Australia as emissions emitted in Australia or in the US or, or anywhere else. So that's why, first of all, we all have the responsibility to reduce our emissions. And Czech Republic is actually historically one of the highest emitting countries in the world. We were in the top 10 until the 80s. So we definitely have this responsibility to, to tackle it. And the other reason why we need to do it, not just on national level, but internationally, it's because it's, it's inefficient if we do it just on national levels. So if you imagine that one country imposes a high carbon price and all the other countries around it don't, then of course the most emitting industries in that country will just move their factories abroad so that they don't have to pay the high carbon price and they can operate business as usual. And this is called carbon leakage and it's one of the biggest problems now facing countries with ambitious climate policy because the emissions simply move abroad. And it's also one of the main pillars of the European Green Deal 
to try and tackle this through climate diplomacy, where the EU, together with other countries that are also ambitious in climate policy, are trying to get other countries on board and to reduce emissions together, because that's ultimately the only way we can effectively do it. Thank you. I'm wondering why some of the Central European countries, such as also you mentioned Czechia, are pretty unhappy with the Green Deal of the EU. Can you maybe elaborate a bit on it, maybe also on the historical legacies of this? Why is it such a huge transformation? Is it even such a huge transformation for Czechia? Mm, that's a good question, and it baffles me as well why we are so much against it. But I think the reason is, is mostly political, because historically the Czech Republic has had a very strong coal industry and very strong heavy industry, um, which are both like very concentrated industries, which can then create lots of political pressure and lots of, let's say, they can exert power over what's being said in the media and so on. And they shape the public discourse and the public image of what is good and what is bad, what needs to be done, what shouldn't be done. So one of the reasons why there's such a, a reluctance to jump on board the Green Deal is that for many years in the Czech Republic, the, the discourse has just been that we need our industry, we need our coal, it's reliable, it's stable, and we don't want renewable energy because it is unreliable, it's expensive, and so on. It's, it's mostly myths by now. But these myths are being perpetrated by, by lots of leading political figures. We can still read it in the media and it's not being challenged enough. So this concentration of power with the, the fossil industries for a very long time, I think it's just created an atmosphere or environment where it's really hard to challenge the status quo. Even though I have to say that in the recent years, this has been sort of shifting also because of some economic developments coal is becoming increasingly unprofitable, while renewables are becoming increasingly cheaper everywhere. And it just makes economic sense to, to now invest into renewables. So the balance is changing. But um, when you just look into the newspapers, you would have a feeling or idea that the Czech Republic doesn't want the Green Deal, that our politicians are against that we had many very strong anti-global warming advocates, such as our former president, who is still regarded as quite um, an influential figure in the public debate by some. So in general, this environment is more skewed in favor of coal and fossil fuels than, let's say, in other countries such as Austria. At this point, I would also like to throw in a question or a remark from the environmental historian, uh, Professor Verena Wienewarter, who is a professor at the University of Natural Resources and Life Sciences. And she suggested on Twitter also uh, the topic, what we already shortly mentioned, the, the legacies of the economy during the uh, state socialism in, in Czechia. And also, especially in regards to jobs. So maybe you could, without going too deep into the history, because we could, I think, fill a whole podcast with that, with environmental history of Cold War and state socialism. Uh, maybe you could explain a bit on how far uh, we will have to expect socioeconomic consequences. And do you think the Czech population is ready for this radical transformation? Yeah, as you say, it's a very wide and deep question and we could talk about it for a long time, but I'll try to be concise. We obviously have some 
legacy, which by now it, it's mostly symbolic because, um, for example, in the Czech coal sector, there's only tens of thousands of jobs. It's not hundreds. It's not like in Poland where uh, arguably the situation is much worse and they're much more reliant on coal for, for economic activity. For us, it's, it's really quite a minimum number of jobs, which doesn't mean that we don't have to care about these people. Of course, the transition needs to be managed in a, in a socially just way so that uh, we just don't throw these people overboard. We have to make sure that, um, for example, they can do some requalifications and, and start working in new jobs. But overall, there are much bigger sectors in the Czech Republic that employ more people than, than the coal sector at this point. It's mostly just symbolic and, and the sense of tradition that traditionally we have had these coal regions um, where the economic power was concentrated once in the past. And so that's one, one thing that we're sort of, sort of struggling with. And the other is that, as you say, all the countries that have a history of like centrally managed economies, it's a bit harder than there to transition to something that is so decentralized as renewable energy. Because that's really the, the biggest difference when you look at it from economic perspective between a coal power plant or nuclear power plant and, and renewable energy power plants, which are scattered around the country, which need a decentralized grid network to function and so on. So there's this struggle between the old and centralized and the new and decentralized. And once this the balance tips more in favor of the renewables and the decentralized system, I think even in the countries such as Czech Republic, Poland, Slovakia, Hungary, and so on, we will see the transition happening because the economic factors point in the way that the future will be based on renewable energy. It's going to be the, the most economically sound um, solution. So it's happening, but these countries with, with this sort of centralized economic history, they, they have it a bit harder and there is more reluctance to, to change the system there. So maybe as a lack of a kind of a narrative, a future narrative, how it could work without behind as it was written in the policy here? Yeah, definitely, because it's also a problem with these coal regions that they're usually quite underdeveloped in other factors as well, such as healthcare or education. Lots of people are actually leaving these regions because there are not, not enough work opportunities. So they're already below the national average. And now we're saying that they have to do this big transformation away from their main industry, which obviously sounds a bit scary. And it's therefore very important to have a proper plan, how to do it, how to manage it, because the coal will decline no matter what. It's just up to us whether we want to do it in a managed way or through a chaotic way, which in the end will have much more victims than the managed way. So there is a bit of a lack of creativity on how the future of these regions could look like, because nobody really knows. But we have to try and come up with that new story for, for these regions, because it's going to happen no matter what. And we have to try to make it as socially justive as possible. Okay, thank you so much. Very, very insightful. We learned so much about uh, common responsibility, more creativity, and a demand for a, a kind of a sensitive transformation, including understanding. Thank you very much, Katerina, for your expertise. Uh, many thanks also to everyone for listening to our podcast. This was CEE, Central Europe Explained. Global warming does not have borders. An IDM podcast series powered by Erste Group. And we are looking forward to the next episode. See you soon. 
Thank you very much. IDM Podcast. Institut für den Donauraum und Mitteleuropa. Institute for the Danube Region and Central Europe. European Perspectives. Regional Actions. Cooperation and expertise since 1953.